Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 5, issue 209. We are going to be talking about Deus Ex, but before we do, if you would like to play along with Cane and Rinse volume 5, the next five games we will be covering are Catherine, then one show on Doom, Doom 2 Hell on Earth, and Final Doom. Then it's our Legend of Zelda series we return to with Link's Awakening slash DX. Ori in the Blind Forest after that, and Final Fight rounds out the next five. If you'd like to see what we're podcasting on, what games we're covering after that, uh, the schedule beyond is at caneandrinse.com. There you can also find articles, features, reviews, and links to our forum, Facebook, and YouTube pages. Please also check out our sister podcast, Sound of Play. That's on a separate uh, podcast feed, wherever you may find your podcasts from. Joining me, I'm James Sam Carter in this issue. We have Joshua Daedalus Garrity. Hello there. Ryan Gunther Heyman. Hello. Carl Morpheus Moon. Free your mind. Oh, wait, wrong <laughs> Morpheus. <laughs> It's definitely of the, of the era, though. Pretty close, though. <laughs> <laughs> As mentioned, we are covering Deus Ex. I should clarify, actually, this is Deus Ex, the original, the 2000 uh, Ion Storm PC game. Speaking of which, Ion Storm developed it. They of Daikatana and Acronox, uh, another game they did. Although I believe Deus Ex was a different studio it was the austin studio whereas daikatana was the dallas studio i think mm. from memory it's uh it's a long yeah, time ago ja- daikatana was john romero's studio yeah um yeah. and austin was warren Spectors. Warren Spectors, yeah um publishers idos interactive who still uh have the the deus ex series and publish and now make those games You've already mentioned there that the uh, director and producer of the game was Warren Spector, uh, a name that surely is familiar to most people listening, but uh, uh, involved with Wing Commander series, Ultima series, and uh, the Thief games as well. Speaking of uh, luminaries of the video gaming development world, the designer on this game, so yes, it has director and designer. Uh, The designer for Deus Ex was Harvey Smith, again of Wing Commander and Ultima, but also notably for its rel- for their relevance to this game, System Shock and Dishonored. Uh, the writer Sheldon Picotti, not been involved with much else high-profile video games-wise, but is the writer of several books uh, revolving around the writing and creation of video games and that kind of thing, um, has a very interesting website that I've uh, visited today. Uh, with the composers, we get back into much more familiar uh, ground. Uh, I think all three composers worked on the Unreal series at some point. Yeah, and um, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got Alexander Brandon, who's got a massive list of work. Um, Jazz, Jack, Rabbit, Thief, Unreal, and Neverwinter Nights stood out as ones that I picked, but uh, just a, a massive um, credited list of uh, games he's composed on. Uh Dan Gardopi, apologies on pronunciation if that's not correct, who worked on Crusader and Unreal, and Michel van den Bos, again, apologies on pronunciation if that's not uh, quite right. Uh, Unreal again, as I mentioned, Age of Wonders and Overlord popped up on his CV. The game was released on PC originally back in June 2000. 
uh, also came to Mac shortly thereafter. And this was something that I, I hadn't realized at all, um, that there was a PS2 release in 2002. I know that Invisible War came to consoles, but I hadn't realized that this one had until doing the research for this. So that was uh, interesting because, yeah, my first thought was that can't work. It's worth noting here because it's going to impact, and we'll talk about our histories with the um, the games shortly. It's worth noting that not only is the version of Deus Ex that's available today digitally, I think it came to good old games first and then arrived on on Steam. That's my explanation for why I have them on both services. Um, is is the game of the year version? Um, that's what's available digitally now on both those services. And that being that they are um, still available nowadays, it's up-to-date versions, there has been a lot of mod work, uh, consolidated mod work, um, to update the game graphically mostly, although there are other changes that have been made. So um, the what is now considered the final version of Deus Ex New Vision came out in 2012, although the 1.0 version was out uh, more than a year in front of that. Um, lead artist David Watts, who was kind of the project lead on that, and a guy called uh, Marin Kenty. Apologies for pronunciation if that's not correct. Kenty is is the name associated with um, the installer for this mod. Um, what New Vision is, uh, is, a, is a project that was ultimately released as a mod, as I say, finally in 2012 or 2011 uh, on ModDB is where you can find that. And the, the primary thing it does is it replaces about 75% of the environmental textures with um, up-resed versions. Um, just to clarify, that means that character models and stuff still look as ever they did. It's just like wall textures and stuff like that that have been updated to give a bit extra atmosphere to the game and the fact that you're now playing in you know, high-definition resolutions now doesn't look quite so uh, bland in the environment. But subsequent to that, there was a further um, essentially fan-led project to mod the game that arrived in October 2015 that was called Deus Ex Revision. Now, this one's notable because um, by this point, Steam had the ability to to have mods literally in the, in the store. So if you search on Steam for Deus Ex Revision, it's there. It's a free... Um, a free package you can just find on Steam and, and install, uh, developed by Caustic Creative, who are a group of, at this point, eight individuals. The the great thing about this version of Deus Ex is that it does actually let you customise a lot of these um, options. So I elected to try and go for the most vanilla version mm. of what the revision uh, allowed. Um, but using kind of the you know the smoother loading and mm. um, display tweaks and all of that stuff so um the, like if you want to you can have jc denton and a lot of the you know key characters uh look completely different um look like they're from a much more modern game mm. uh kind of mid ps2 rather than you know um uh, late ps1 uh models um but um, yeah, I. But uh, thankfully, if you want to just experience the game the way uh, it was originally intended, just with some uh, tweaks that just make it, you know, a smoother ride, as it yeah, were. Yeah. Um, it, you know, kind of similar to how the uh, 
DS fix kind of makes um, you know Dark Souls on PC a much smoother experience. Mm. Uh, I, I think yeah, I, I would recommend this mod to um, to anyone you know going to play this game for the first time because if if you're one of those people who just finds the game hideous, um, you can have them you know more updated visuals. But if you just want to experience the the game as as it was, just you know. Uh, with some, you know, smoother loading and all of that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's worth having. Excellent, yeah. Um, I just think it's an incredible testament to this game that 15 years afterwards, there's still people trying to make it a, a better experience for people going coming to it now and and try and sort of augment, if you like, the um, the game as it was, but in a way that still preserves as much of the original feeling as or feeling of playing the game. We're going to talk about our histories now, so I guess it's probably helpful to say which version of the game we played. Um, Carl, I believe you were the first of us to play this game, um, so I don't know if you could uh, could lead us in with your history of how you came to yeah. Deus Ex. Um, it, it's, I, I ended up getting it the first year it came out. It wasn't mm. something that I picked up straight away. Uh, 2000, as I mentioned earlier, was full of some really great games on PC and I was starting to uh, get into it and I was playing a lot of multiplayer and uh, and the likes. And the game I was really looking forward to was Dai Katana, but because it had Ion Storm <laughs> attached, mm. it was always linked with uh, Deus Ex. So, you know, you'd always hear of the other title they were working on. And then you had Warren Spector, who, whilst I never played Thief, was a huge deal um, mm. because... At the time, I was reading a lot of PC Zone uh, magazine, and they were sort of covering a lot of the, the work that he'd done on Thief and then and Deus Ex, mm. and it seemed really interesting. So it was always a title that I had my eye on, and then uh-huh, eye on, eye on. And then um, one day, I, I distinctly remember I, I stayed at home uh, whilst my parents went out, and I was playing some PC game. And they said, "Oh, is there anything you want?" And I just cheekily throw oh yeah i wouldn't mind that deus ex on pc Mm. and you know i didn't think anything of it and then they came in and they actually bought me a copy of it and i remember it was 20 pounds from hmv and it was the first pc game i ever got that came in a a dvd case rather than a box Mm. um yeah so i ended up playing it back in back in 2000 uh the rather uh ugly non-attractive game that it was (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah it's, there's a reason why people are modding it in 2015 and it's because it, it it's not a very pretty game but yeah i, I was a, a year one user and then as fate would have it i had a friend who never really got into pc gaming he wanted to but it was too expensive but he was into the ps2 so he'd seen me playing it and in 2002 he picked up the ps2 version so that he could play right. the same game mm. um yeah, it wasn't really the same game. Uh, <laughs> if if I thought that the PC version of Deus Ex was ugly, then the the version that I played on the PS2 was an abomination. Uh, yeah, it, it was hard to sort of mask my feelings on on that one. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I, I played it on the PS2 in the year of release and on the PC on, in the year of release. And I've yeah. I've sort of gone back to it time and time again. I, I had yeah. issues with getting it to run correctly. Um, this is obviously pre the likes of GOG and and. Uh, steam yeah um you know installing from the disc and that can always be a bit problematic yeah but uh, over 15 years i've played it um quite often the first few chapters i don't know why i kind of like the tutorial and i kind of like the first few chapters um of of building your character so every 
every couple of years, I sort of refresh on those. Uh, and then um, I started playing it about 18 months ago. Uh, so prior to the announcement that we were actually doing this show, it, uh, I, was, I was the one who actually requested that we were going to cover it. Um, so it predates the revision, <laughs> which, you know, unfortunately I didn't get to play the revision version. So I played the older New Vision mod uh, uh, before this, this recording. Couple of questions in re- in regards to that. Just to you, you said you mentioned that it wasn't a particularly attractive game. It, would you say that's how you felt back in two thousand, or is that a retrospective thing? In two thousand, it was not a pretty game. Um, the year before, we had uh, Unreal Tournament, which had a a style. It was, I mean, that wasn't a stunning game by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But something like Quake Three was really pretty. Uh, Kingpin on the PC was really starting to push technology at the time. Aliens vs Predator was doing stuff that we'd not seen, and these were all around that time. And then Deus Ex sort of came out, and it looked aged, um, and it, and aged in a way where it was. It seemed to be gameplay mechanics first, and then art second. Uh, similar to something like System Shock Two, that that always felt the same way. That that was aged more than the the rival games of of, of its time. Uh, so Deus Ex really did seem like an odd one out. Even back in two thousand, it was not the prettiest of of PC first person shooters. Okay, so as as far as which of us played it next, I believe that was me. I played it in two thousand and eleven, just as New Vision had come out. So the reason I played it is kind of a weird one. Um, at the time, I was contributing to uh, Leon's previous uh, project, which was uh, which was GamerDork. He was a host on that show, and I was writing for for that website. And I decided throughout 2011 to do a series of articles that I called Throwback Articles, where I I believe Josh, you've done something similar. I think we all have probably at some point where you feel like there's holes in your gaming back catalogue, and, mm. and you want to kind of fill in some of them. Uh, and so I did a series of articles throughout 2011, and this was one of them. That because um, Deus Ex: Human Revolution had been announced, um, I I wanted to go back and see the original. I felt like it was something I'd missed out on. Uh, New Vision was available, so I have never played this game in a non-New Vision modded way. Just to to lay that out there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I hadn't played this game until 11 years after release. Uh, that was the only time I've played it through in full. I've played um, about half of the game again this time, just to refresh myself on how it plays and um, and remind myself of what it's like. But this time, uh, although it's a new version of New Vision, the 1.5 version, I, I just stuck with New Vision because I knew um, both Josh and Ryan would be playing with, um, as they're about to tell you, uh, Deus Ex Revision installed. So I thought having a separate uh, perspective might be useful. Um, it's a really odd thing where you've got these textures that have clearly been upgraded and, and augmented. Yeah. I'm going to keep using that word because it's just in my brain from putting the notes for the show together. Um, but you've got, I mean, JC Denton looks like Crichton from Red Dwarf. It's a blocky head, just barely, not barely looks like a human's harsh, but there's that kind of angular polygonal look to to the the characters, which obviously in New Vision weren't updated at all, so um, it, it's not that they look out of place, but that really is the the characters themselves are really the thing that kind of shows the age of the graphics most of all. I think 
It's um, kind of weird seeing the HD textures mm. applied to those very simple models. Like the, the HD textures do actually look pretty nice yeah. in both New Vision and Revision. Mm-hmm. And seeing them kind of plastered on top of these strange models is almost like a like a weird kind of uncanny valley, like a puppet show type effect. Because they also have <laughs> movable mouths, which I don't know if that looked good back then, but it, it doesn't really look good now. <laughs> yeah. There's times where the, the mouths don't start moving until halfway into a sentence and that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it does feel like a bit of a halfway house towards maybe what Revision um, is is going to have achieved. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Revision adds to it and maybe trying to play through. Um, which leads us on quite neatly to uh, Josh and Ryan. I'll let you pick who wants to talk first about their history. Yeah, I think I probably played it about a month before Josh did. Because hmm. um, I think you, you ended up finishing it up very recently. Um, yeah. I had installed Deus Ex a few times in the past, just to mm-hmm. kind of like, one of those, like, I should play this through because it's really important. And it was from that that, like, mythical era of PC gaming but that gave you the... Thief and the System Shock 2 and all these games I feel like I just need to be a part of. I need to have this like in my gaming lexicon. (laughs) And so I've tried a couple times and I played through the tutorial mission a couple times and um, the first little bit of that Statue of Liberty mission and just thought like, oh, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I have the stamina to make it through something like this right now. It's (laughs) because I'm... I'm absurdly bad at stealth games and you know I'm getting a little bit well the games are becoming a little bit more accessible over the years I won't say that I'm getting better but uh you know I love um Mark of the Ninja and uh Dishonored but you know I go back to this I I pop in Metal Gear Solid 5 and it's an absolute you know I I'm just <laughs> it's it's an atrocity yeah. of of gameplay um and uh yeah surprise surprise i was not any good at this one and <laughs> i think as we go through our discussion of uh of how the game played out because it, it does um kind of branch in several different ways uh i i will consistently be riding the low road of uh just a disastrous playthrough but i <laughs> i did still enjoy myself and finally got around to playing it for the podcast and uh, went back onto uh, YouTube afterwards to see what I should have been doing the entire time. <laughs> okay, so Josh, being the the last of us to play the game, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I, I finished this yesterday. So <laughs> uh, out of all of us, yeah, I I uh, finished it the latest. Um, I this is another one of those games where I've, uh, like Ryan said, um, I've played the beginning of it several times years and years ago and i just kept i kept bouncing off of um the eiffel tower every time i tried to uh tried to get into it Uh, just for whatever reason um a a lot of the mechanics just weren't working for me um and i think it doesn't help that um because you are so uh, underleveled at that point yeah. and you don't have skills in anything, it doesn't feel good to do anything <laughs> in that first yeah. Um, yeah. first mm. uh, first section of the game. So, I, in some ways, I don't think that that uh, New York um, Eiffel 
Eiffel Tower um, Statue of Liberty uh, section is a great kind of introduction to the game because you you don't see what makes the game interesting until much mm. later on, I don't think. Yeah. But um, I did... What ended up happening was uh, I played Deus Ex Human Revolution, uh, which I... Uh, and and completed it and i've completed it a couple of times actually Mm. um which i ended up really loving um i acknowledge Mm -hmm. it has problems but it's one of those kind of warts and all games where just you know the issues just weren't that big a deal for me and the stuff that it got you know right uh stuff is stuff that i really care about um so i ended up being able to look past a lot of that game's problems and and kind of fall in love with it and so ever you know ever since like you know really really getting into deus ex human revolution um i've wanted to go back to this and Mm. um you know canarince is kind of the perfect excuse for this kind of Mm -hmm. game because it's the kind of game that i tell myself i want to play and um i'll try it and try it and just do not have the motivation to stick with it and uh end up moving on to whatever new game has come out um so having this podcast uh just to push me through to the end uh is kind of the reason why i've I've completed it at all Mm. to be honest um but yeah i i completed it with the uh revision mod um attempts in the past have been with the regular version but um i'm glad to have gone with the revision mod for the reasons i have already already described um, it's worth mentioning at this point, actually, because Deus Ex Human Revolution is a prequel to this game, it takes a lot of characters from this game and does a lot of foreshadowing and explains where they came from, what happened with them and that sort of thing, and tries to fit itself into some of the lore for this one. So I'm going to give a spoiler warning now, and we're going to try, obviously, and stick to just what we've seen in Deus Ex, but... Some of the stuff we contrast and compare gameplay-wise, but also some of the stuff that comes up story-wise may also be pertinent to Deus Ex Human Revolution. Uh, I should also mention that we covered that way back, Canarin's number 11. If you've played Human Revolution, you may want to go back and listen to that before you carry on with this. Um, but we will try and avoid anything that's Human Revolution spoiler or Invisible War spoiler related um, wherever we can. We're going to talk about our single playthrough experiences so i can only preemptively apologize if we say something that is based upon our experience of one playthrough that isn't actually necessarily correct if you've played through it multiple times i've done as much revision as i can for for this show uh it's an odd one we wouldn't usually say this i just wanted to kind of preempt any uh, hardships we, we, we may do to uh the game in terms of only having seen each of us through the uh through the story once that being said, we're going to start where we usually start, which is with the aesthetic. And in this game, I feel like the easiest way to talk about the aesthetic is to to have touchstones in film and other games to compare it to. Um, starting with just by saying that it's a cyberpunk game kind of tells you what sort of touchstones they may be. And... I think it's fair to say the music's kind of right on the money with what you would expect from a yeah. cyberpunk um, ad- adventure video game. How did you guys feel about the music in general? Uh, I I agree with you, but 
I didn't find it apart from the main theme. The main theme is great. Mm. Uh, the the music that plays um, on startup, but the rest of it um, kind of blended into the background for me uh, mm. most of the time. Um, it, it, it's tonally, um, you know, on the money, as you say. Mm. It's it's definitely evoking the kind of cyberpunk eighties um, feel that it needs to, but it's not very memorable either. Mm. Um, it's not. It's not by any means bad like i can't point to a track where i was like well that's a bad piece of music but it it was kind of dull for me for the most part i I can't really point to uh any piece apart from you know that main that main main theme theme that really stuck out uh, stuck out for me i'd say the revision soundtrack is actually pretty good i i didn't Mm. do a lot of digging around in the in the options um, when i was playing through revision and so I, i didn't even know about the updated character models and the uh, the fact that the soundtrack was a was replaced um entirely and so i i thought this was just the soundtrack that had always been in the game but i remember <laughs> quite enjoying it so for those of you who are playing it through a new new soundtrack is quite good i i would uh, extend uh, this criticism that i have uh, with the music to the sound design as well mm-hmm. in that a lot of it's competent you know, guns sound like guns. Um, people scream as they would, and <laughs> and all of that. But um, I, I, think you, I think that speaks volumes for you as a person, there, Josh. Guns yeah. sound like guns, and people scream like they should. <laughs> okay, that was a weird order to describe things. Um, but it, it's just none of it's functional is kind of the best word I have for it. None of it's um, memorable in the same way. So, like, Half-Life was a couple of years, three years before this. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, And that game um, has a lot of noises, and that kind of extends uh, for, you know, extends into the whole Half-Life series. But Half-Life 1 has kind of fantastic sound design Mm. for its creatures um and the monsters and the weapons and everything like that and it and it makes you get attached to the equipment that you have um um there's kind of and there's kind of an emotional connection you have with your gear and 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 your stuff because you associate it with certain sounds that kind Mm. of trigger stuff in your mind and the same with the enemies the enemies have these iconic noises that inform you that you know firstly inform you of what threat is going to be in the area but also you know give those enemies a hell of a lot of personality um in this game i just so much of the sound is devoid of uh, personality and if if you're not you know big on audio like i am i could totally understand that me saying this seems like i'm blowing a a small issue out of proportion but no. audio's a big deal for me um a really big deal and and it's one of those things that can be the difference between me just liking a game and uh loving a game yeah, yeah and sure. because the sound sound design here in Deus Ex for, throughout the entire game in fact is so kind of flat uh, flat and okay it's just it it does what it needs to but it doesn't excel any further than that that mm. it i just i find it very hard to 
get emotionally invested yeah. in a lot of the um, kind of specifics of the games, like the enemies and, and the weapons and stuff like that. Like mm. sound is so important for me kind of forming memories around things mm-hmm. in games that yeah. um, the lack of really good sound design here is is making a lot of sequences in this game kind of blurry and unmemorable. I, I don't think you can uh, sort of undervalue how important sound is. And, you know, yeah, yeah. some may say, oh, you know, it's this and that. It's just a sound, you know, it, it's the gameplay that matters. But sound will have an effect on a person, mm-hmm. um, yeah. no matter no matter what it is. You, uh, uh, people may not even realize it from people who don't even play games, but they love the sound of, say, an American muscle car and how when that engine roars and, and the exhaust makes a noise and they get sort of goosebumps and that chills and that feel and that attachment to yeah. something is the same in that uh, when you play in something like Battlefield and yeah. you fire a sniper rifle and it's meaty and it's powerful and you feel connected with that weapon, there's a bond that suddenly forms yeah. and yet um, you play some games and you may fire a pistol and it's just like a plet, plet, plet. And it's, there's nothing there. Yeah, and it's why if I play something like a Fallout game, I struggle to use, say, a plasma weapon or a laser weapon because it it doesn't have the oomph like something that actually fires Uh, rockets or or bullets. And and, and it's and it's yeah, it's that sort of bond that I have when I'm playing um, a quality first-person shooter. Um, I, I like I like a bit of something. To, and, to the environment effects and, and, and the sounds. And it, I think it's important to know, unlike some of our later criticisms that I think we'll bring up, like this is not a product of this game's age because there are no, so many games, games that came, before, yeah. yeah, so many games around this time and before this time that have nailed this. I mean, we're going to be talking about Doom in later issues, and Doom <laughs> nails this. The shotgun, uh, spe- you know, yeah, yeah, specifically the all the all the weapon sounds, all the enemy sounds are iconic, and they bury their you know they they bury into your mind um yeah. burrow into your mind is what i actually meant to say there um and yeah it just here it's just it's not very effective well games. the fact the fact that you noticed it means it's a problem you know it, yeah yeah and and um just to kind of give an example of um i i agree the word functional is is what comes to mind um with sound design and music when you go into the battle music speeds up and you know that you're in combat. Mm. And as soon as you finish off the active enemy in the area, the music dies back down. That sticks with me. That The fact that the music does that sticks with me because it helped me know where the combat sections were delineated. Um, the same with the crowbar. First thing I did when I picked up the crowbar was I'm going to hit a wooden crate, I'm going to hit a wall, and I'm going to hit a metal crate. Do they sound different? Yes, they do. They're not great sounds but they've put enough effort in to make them sound different but the fact that they they haven't gone that extra step that the dooms or the half-lives had already taken by this point that's why it stands out because that's ultimately going to be what you compare them to if you're playing a game that looks like a shooter whether or not it classifies itself as that so yeah i think that's fair criticism yeah, the fact that the music changes during combat is mm. kind of antithetical to what the entire game is all about, which is like being observant of your surroundings and, um, you know, kind of playing hide and go seek from with the guards and mm. all of those that are after you. And, uh, you know, it, the music would alert you like, oh, somebody saw me. And it's kind of this like uh, 
it, it's it's information that Denton wouldn't have available to him. That's true. And the fact yeah, that you know the the music, this kind of outside of the narrative piece, tells us when the guards have given up or when somebody spotted us from across the room. Um, you know, it, it kind of took away some of that need to pay attention to your surroundings, which the rest of the game really reinforces, like a, a core aspect of the gameplay. Yeah, I get the point you're making, Ryan. It does kind of stand out as maybe uh, not in keeping with some of the other gameplay aspects. So m- moving on to the art style and the graphics. Obviously, we- we've, between the four of us, played three different, or four different, if you include the PS2, uh, ways that this <laughs> game may look visually. Um, but the art style is the same for all of them. And again, it, it's in keeping with the tone of what you would expect a cyberpunk adventure to have. Yeah. I've I've made a couple of notes. Uh, it looks derelict and run down as a kind of future where mm-hmm. society is decaying in some ways, uh, being set in 2052. Uh, and the other note I made was neon on concrete, which is just, well, it's obviously 80s cyberpunk if it's neon on concrete, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, if we're talking about art direction, Mm -hmm. um, this is more successful than the sound design. I think it is, it is definitely um, reminding you of all the sources it's drawing from like Blade Runner and stuff like that. And it's mostly effective. I think uh, they are limited by um, the character models and the animation Mm -hmm. and, the animation specifically, I think it's really bad. <laughs> um, I think uh, games with similar character models have gotten away with it mm-hmm. uh, because the animation is superior. I'm thinking specifically here of Metal Gear Solid, where mm-hmm. in some ways the character models are even simpler because they don't even, you know, their mouths don't even uh, animate. But just because of the way the characters the move nuance, yeah. and yeah, and 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 emote and talk to each other uh, during cutscenes, mm-hmm. it it's aged better than these action figures that just <laughs> wobble their mouths at each other <laughs> yeah. occasionally. Um, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of J.C. Denton's look. Mm-hmm. Um, my girlfriend referred to him as a chubby Caucasian blade, um, which I think <laughs> is a spot-on spot yeah. description of J.C. Denton. Um, I, despite how like ugly um, they look, I actually do like um, Gunther's design in theory, if that and, makes and, sense, yeah. because um, I really love the idea of this early... Um, uh, augmentation being logs, some yeah, yeah. yeah being something that kind of disfigures and dehumanizes uh the people who choose so to a vanity aspect yeah yeah and um that that kind of feeds into some of the narrative stuff with uh, Gunther I think because mm. if you read some of his journals and stuff he's a bit insecure about the way he looks and stuff like that and he's worried that you know uh, JC Denton's going to make him uh, inferior and, and stuff like that yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and I think that works but yeah I I I think in a lot of ways uh, it's it's good art direction that's just kind of held back by whatever limitations they had when yeah. making this yeah. game yeah the the art direction i'm 
I'm fond of, but I, a lot of that stems from anyone who knows me knows that I go all sort of warm and gooey inside when I think of Blade Runner. So if anything's going to try and mimic yeah. that and, yeah. and, and that, that style, then I'm going to enjoy it. But from a technical point of view, uh, the engine, the shaders, the ear of the game, all mm. impact on it. And, and the, you're certainly right about the characters. The, there's yeah. almost no motion comes from them. And when I, I yeah, go no. back even older than Metal Gear Solid and I think of like the, the Final Fantasy games and how with such basic models, they are more all their emotions yeah. through little animations that, you mm. know, these these have none. They're, they're walking around. There's there's no bob. There's just there's nothing to the characters yeah. outside of what they're speaking to us. The the very um, vapid avatars that that I just mm. didn't enjoy. That yeah. side, I didn't get anything out of it outside of the conversation. I, I mean, just speaking, um, not just about Deus Ex, but kind of in a wider context, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you would be shocked how much good animation helps games age really well. Oh, yeah. Like, really yeah. good animation is kind of, if you're thinking of a PS1 era game or earlier than that, and you think, you know what, you know, these textures aren't, you know, that detailed and what have you, but for whatever reason, I find this uh, visually inviting even now. It's probably because of the animation, because yeah. I think good animation injects so much personality. So, uh, Ryan, your thoughts on uh, mm -hmm. on the way the game looks? I think this, uh, this will also come into play when we're discussing this story, but mm -hmm. I don't really like the cyberpunk setting right. uh, for any story, really. I think I just have a lot of associations with um, cyberpunk kind of being a like an easy stand-in setting for a lot of movies from the kind of mystery science theater uh, type of uh, stable. Mm. Um, I, I just I can think of a lot of like back in the '80s when people just wanted the future to be you know, grungy and, and just <laughs> nasty and just no fun to be in. So my association with the cyberpunk genre has always been kind of marred by just a lot of really unpleasant experiences. And so I, I kind of went into it with the expectation mm -hmm. that I wouldn't really connect with, um, connect with the, the art style, what it was trying to portray and, um, the world that it wanted to me, uh, wanted me to inhabit and, yeah. uh, kind of furthermore, the story, which is, um, has a lot of the tropes of the standard cyberpunk, you know, the, the government is not to be trusted. They're poisoning yeah. their yeah. civilians, which is when I saw that coming, I was just like, okay, yep, this is going to be exactly what I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. But despite all of that, a lot of the little touches, um, and a surprisingly strong characters, despite uh, rather spotty voice acting, uh, which is <laughs> not easy to do, make really lovable characters, uh, even though I don't like to hear them speak. Um, it's, it's a lot of the little touches really brought me into it. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff uh, on the visual side, like the fact that the, the, the ton hotel, um, uh, which was a Hilton hotel that just a couple of the letters of the neon sign had burnt <laughs> out and they referred to it by that kind of colloquial name. Yeah. Just that little touch there really brought me into the world and really kind of invoked this kind of a, a, a thing that the um, fallout series does really well, which is taking the, uh, the brokenness of the world and spinning a mythos out of that that makes it feel like the people who are living here 
truly do live here and and are mm. intimately familiar with all of their surroundings and you know urban legends and uh just a word of mouth knowledge is what what spreads in these um these types of scenarios and uh and you know for a game that is a lot of crawling through hallways and and crawling through air ducts like they do a, a pretty decent job of um of keeping it relatively fresh throughout uh you mm. know there's some pretty striking um Hong Kong really stands out and yeah, I was gonna uh, say, yeah. the, yeah. the flooded undersea laboratory is really cool. And so a lot of that, that, you know, even though a lot of the game is set in science labs and military bases and, and things that are, you know, concrete walls and, and computers lining the, the, the walls and stuff, um, they, they do a pretty good job of keeping it fresh throughout. Yeah. Hong Kong definitely stood out to me. Uh, there's a lot more neon signage there, but, um, in close proximity, you have quite a variety of different places, mm-hmm. um, kind of the bar and, and hotel you go to and the, the triad club and stuff all feel distinct from one another. And um, I don't know if, if it's just particularly because it was Hong Kong. It feels like the um, art designers for the game felt like they suddenly had license to use more color where mm-hmm. you're going into some of the indoor environments and they're painted red instead of the kind of gray, green, blue look to um, a lot of your saying, as you're saying, a lot of the sort of military style, lab style indoor uh, environments, these suddenly felt a bit different and uh, it, it really stood out as some, that was the area um, that, yeah, which that I remember most a, of all. Uh, there is kind of an upsetting amount of... Um, uh, troublesome orientalism in the design of Hong Kong. Yeah. The fact that the first thing you do when you land there is uh, you're tasked with finding a magic sword called the dragon's tooth. And yeah. uh, a lot of those accents and the music that you hear in Hong Kong are just really uh, yeah. difficult to to yeah. not pay a lot of attention to in, in 2016 when we're playing this. Yeah, I think uh, we might as well move on to the voice acting because mm. we kind of... Uh, well, I was just going to say, actually, yeah, when you're talking about animations of the characters and the fact that they feel very stilted, some of that, I think, could be overcome. It's definitely not helped by the fact that then when some of the, some of the characters, not all of them necessarily, but some of them open their mouths, again, you're not getting that nuance of what it is they're trying to put across. And you can overcome that with really good animation or really good voice acting would go a long way. Unfortunately, I suspect all of us are going to feel this way, especially about some of the accents. That's the note I made here. Um, there's also some pretty bad French accents in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in <laughs> UNACO, I heard at least one, if not two, pretty bad Southern States US accents going on, which given the games were made in Dallas, or rather in Austin, <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure why they had someone putting on, or, or I assume was someone putting on a, a sort of um, Southern States US accent when surely they had other people around who could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but The Australian accents oh, really yeah. uh, <laughs> really stood out to me as some of the, the worst in the game. And, and th- there are some performances by minor characters 
where it feels like the actor's not even trying. Um, yeah. there, there was a there was a part in particular. I think I, I can't remember the character's name for the life of me. Uh, I apologize, but there was uh, a woman at a desk. And it was quite a serious kind of, you know, life-threatening conversation. But she sounded like, you know, she was at a shopping till just ordering some groceries. <laughs> it's just the most uh, monotone, uncommitted performance I'd heard in a long while. Part of the problem is that there are actually quite a lot of voiced characters in this. Yeah. And I think, yeah. for the most part, it seems like, or at least to me, they did do a good job of giving all of them different voices, whether it's the same person putting on a different voice or not. I don't know, but yes, but uh, uh, part of me wants to say that I think this game would have benefited from just being text mm -hmm. rather than uh, mm -hmm. voice acting, which is about as damning a, a judgment of the voice acting as you can <laughs> yeah. get. As it would have been better because because yeah. the 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 writing isn't. I don't think the writing's awful. Mm. I think that the, the yeah, writing, yeah. by and large, is is pretty okay, or, and sometimes, you know, quite good, in fact. Um, but it's undermined by these performances, which mm. are, by and large, uh, pretty terrible. You get the odd good one. I think Paul Denton's actually, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. good a good performance, and and some of the the key players are, are pretty good. I don't even like Tracer Tong doesn't actually bother me as much as uh, some of the, you know most of the Chinese accents uh, in the rest of the game. But um, yeah, just all the minor players, all the secondary characters, just sound pretty terrible. I think it's a victim of its own scale in, in yeah. everything that this game does. It offers a lot, you know, a lot of story, a lot of characters, a lot of locations, a lot of gameplay time. Um, yeah. Because this is not a short game, um, and you look at it, and you, th it's easy. It's easier to be critical now in two thousand and sixteen. Definitely than yeah, in the year 2000 when it was crafted, because I think a lot of the positivity that surrounded this game, and there was a lot, you know, this this was a game that scored very highly and was mm -hmm. regarded very mm -hmm. well, um, because it was a sign of the direction that games were going, not of the destination that they'd arrived at. And you know, if if you look, if you want to look at it in in regards to a scale that say this was released 15 years ago, 15 years before that was when we had games like Paperboy and mm. Hang On yeah. and Space yeah. Harrier, Gauntlet, Ghosts and yeah. Goblins, which, by the way, is a game with great animation. <laughs> so 30 years on, that's a game that still shines on its animation. But um, you, you look at the 15 years from then to here and you think DSX did a lot in just 15 years from that time. In the mm. 15 years since, we've added so much more polish, a lot more money, you know, yeah. these games are backed by so many yeah. more finances and, and sourcing, and now we have genuine high-quality voice actors doing these games. Yeah, but a lot um, of it's production values rather than necessarily how the scope of the games have changed exactly. necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, and the cost of producing it is so much less, and the quality that can be produced is so much higher that, you know, when, when you're judging a game that did everything that Deus Ex did in 2000, which, in terms of scale... Nothing was doing what Deus Ex was doing in the year yeah. 2000. Not, not even System Shock 2, which had high RPG elements, was coming yeah. close to doing the scale of things and the, the methods of gameplay that Deus Ex was doing. And I think that's important. But, you know, if, if we're yeah. being fair and honest, we have to criticize some of those choices now. It, it's fair to say that we've started off with the aspect of the game that possibly for all of us, certainly I expected, yeah. 
us to be most critical of. That's not to say we're done with all the criticism and now it's going to be going praise, but the polish aspects, the, the getting the aesthetic right beyond hitting the touchstones that we're going to come on to a bit later in terms of what it clearly reaches for. Aside from that, there are a lot of frailties at this game that are potentially, it became a victim of its scope and a, a victim of the era in which it was made, because I agree, Josh, there was better graphics, there was better animation, there were better um, sound design and music and voice acting. But it was, in from games I have played, it was more common back then to have these sorts of standards of those than it is now. So I think it's fair to say it probably wouldn't have stood out as being as bad for these things then as it, as it does 15 years later. Um, yeah. We, we've already actually, I've got a big section here on setting story and themes. Story we haven't touched on much, but in terms of setting and themes, um, Ryan actually hit a bunch of them, which is there's a lot of very typical cyberpunk stuff here. But I do get what you mean, Ryan, about it's everything you would expect a cyberpunk game to hit. Um, it does it all very cool. well. Like it, mm. it did make me think in a lot of ways and and none of the ideas that it presents are necessarily new or or mm. novel to this game in particular but um I, I think just the the strength and the quality of the writing really pulled me into a genre that otherwise i'm uh you know fairly uninterested in um yeah but i i like all the uh like the interaction that we have with the morpheus computer later on uh is is really interesting and um and the ideas that uh, humans like to be monitored and makes them feel known like that that's yeah. some fascinating stuff and, and it comes through into the uh, the endings of the game as well just mm -hmm. in terms of the story i don't think we need to hit all of the beats because there's a lot of story and a lot of side stuff um you've got a lot of characters who who recur and have their own little um kind of journeys through the story it does the thing that um the Da Vinci Code did, which is builds on real world myth and legend in terms of mm. the Illuminati and kind of builds together stuff to make, uh, builds together that stuff to make a kind of alternate history version where the Illuminati have been present in the world for nearly 300 years, pulling strings behind the, um, behind the scenes. And at some point in the 20, 30 years before this game, the Illuminati split into uh, factions and one of those factions basically wanted a lot more direct control over the world than the rest of the Illuminati wanted. And that's kind of, that's where the, the world is at by the point this game starts. And then you, you get into the fact that all of the different groups and factions that you come across may or may not have been infiltrated by the Illuminati or it's splinter group majestic 12 and you're not sure who to trust and it brings in all those aspects of cyberpunk which, which take a step beyond the what it is to be human and go towards the if we're not sure what it is to be human how can we trust someone who looks human and their intentions and what's really going on in the world around us a lot of the paranoia type stuff comes in at, at that stage and the twists and the turns of the story are all there in that respect in terms of you start the game as essentially a an anti-terrorist um, agent and 
before long find that your world's turned upside down and now you're fighting for the the rebellious terrorists. There are so many twists and turns that at a certain point when someone popped up on my monitor um, or I had a conversation with someone and dun, 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 turns out they're the bad guy. It, 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 it didn't ever get old, but I came to expect the, not what the twist would be, but that I was about to be, you know, I was about to find out that Morgan Everett actually was a pretty bad guy, despite ostensibly mm. being a good guy through most of your encounters with him. How did you guys feel about the story on the whole? I think that while the, there are great pieces of story here, I think I, I really like I like the miniature stories mm-hmm. um, in this game. Um, the, the conflict between the triads. Mm-hmm. I, I know the kind of aesthetic aspects of that area can get a bit offensive yep. at times, but I, I kind of like the politics and, and, and all of that stuff. And, and uh, sneaking into those areas and stuff like that. I like when it con- the game focuses on people and relationships with people. I think that's where it's strongest in mm. that regard. Um, but it's it's taking all of these heady subjects and throwing them all together in this you know tumble dryer of a uh, of a story. What it feels like to me is kind of um, like. And I've used this as a insult in the past, but I really don't mean it as an insult here. It feels like an like an A level drama student's kind of a first attempt at something. In that it's packed full of ideas that they've read in various novels and books and stuff like that, but it lacks the discipline and and focus of a seasoned writer who knows when to scrap something and when to remove something yeah. for the benefit of the whole um so that there is talent here there is there is creativity here and there are moments where the story really works but it just needed that that kind of um you know, deft hand that comes from experience and kind of just having the confidence to chop stuff out of your story. Yeah, I, th- I think that's not just even relevant to the story, but the whole, the game as a whole in terms of what should be edited and removed. And um, to draw comparison to, say, Human Revolution, where it's a lot more focused because a lot of the stuff that was maybe fluff or not as polished in this as either being cut, removed, or channeled into something else. And then you look at, say, um, Dishonored, Right, which is a great example, given it's the same designer, mm-hmm. is a lot more simplistic in its approach because it was advertised as either be aggressive or be stealthy. It allowed you to do either and, and flip in between the two, but that was basically it. And in doing so, it created a far more focused experience in terms of the way it told its story, in the way it told its... Mm. Um, in the way it, it told its narrative through uh, story progression and the way it played. Um, whereas this can appear all over the place and I draw a comparison to something like Fallout 3 where it has moments that are great which are usually some of the side quests um, and not so great throughout the main story arc or in large chunks where it's very average in how it tells the story and actually shines through how the game plays um, and and in being brave and making those edits and making those cuts can often make an experience far superior, and I think that that would have been the case with Deus Ex, particularly with the story. What, one, one positive I would highlight, though, um, and uh, this is mainly, for me, um, 
kind of looking up how things can play out and and uh, you know play out differently based on your choices mm. and just not even when you're kind of consciously making a choice uh, just the way you approach certain situations and 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 stuff like that um i i think it's really impressive how much your actions actually yeah, affect the story mm. um uh so for example uh if you go through the game non-lethally and try to take out people uh, especially in the early portion of the game um uh as uh as peacefully as possible without killing anyone. Um, it affects the way people talk yeah. to you and respond mm -hmm. to you. And and in the case of the early portion of the game with the NSF, um, a lot of your UNACO um, uh, colleagues really start to distrust you. Um, they they criticize oh, you. you. Yeah, your, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the, and they'll and they they really won't trust you uh, for you know that early portion of the game. But if you go in, like, you know, <laughs> murdering everyone, leaving, you know, no, no one alive in your wake and just clearing out all of these bases, they're, they're trusting and, they, and they're like, yeah, good job. Uh, well done, Denton, and, and all of that. And what I like about that stuff and what's impressive is that it's not, you're not consciously picking A or B when you do that mm. stuff. It's not, it's not a binary choice. It's just this is how I've approached the game and the game's reacting appropriately. And I think that's yeah, really yeah. smooth and organic. And I think it's the one area um, uh, in this game that I think has aged mm. exceptionally well is just its approach to, to choice. Yeah. Um, it doesn't present them in this kind of menu way that, you know, I, I really love the, uh, well, at least I really love Mass Effect 2. <laughs> I think I, I could criticize the the other two in that series, but like that game does, does suffer a little bit from choices stemming purely yeah. from this kind of binary, uh, you know, good or evil choice mm -hmm. um, uh, for, for a lot of it. I think Mass Effect 2 suffers the least mm -hmm. from it um uh in the series but it does suffer from it whereas here yeah so much of it is happening without you even noticing yeah. you're you're making choices even when you don't think you are and that's clever and smart but in terms of the the fundamental games design and how it you know organically branches out um that, that i think that was the, the core design ethos of the game that that's the very body of the game is is for it to sort of dynamically change as you're playing and not necessarily be a case of um very specifically choosing um ones and zeros or paragon and renegade or good or bad mm. um you know like we we we've seen in so many great games since you know uh, Josh mentioned mass effect uh, which in my opinion always sells itself uh, too short by basically giving you the answer of whether you're going to be good or bad. Uh, Fallout 3 did it with its karma ratings and the likes. And having this where you're not necessarily sure which direction it's going in, so you the only option you've got is to sort of continue the way you're going. Um, mm. It is, at its very fundamental level, incredibly brave games design um, because they, yeah. they went big. <laughs> For a for a title release in two thousand, um, you know, a year earlier we had uh, Quake Three, which was multiplayer arena only. They removed the story mode because it wasn't deemed necessary. Online gaming was becoming huge, and this game released without multiplayer. Um, 
in in a, in a time where multiplayer mods were becoming serious business um you know i mentioned earlier that counter-strike was was really starting to become on the up um in late beta and then this comes out and it's pure single player very focused almost incredibly user unfriendly in its design in a in a way that that system shock 2 was in a in a similar way and um thief sort of beforehand and you've got to look at warren specter and think that is a guy making some seriously brave decisions under a studio in um ion storm who had had the incredibly delayed and then incredibly ill-fated daikatana um you don't sort of see that level of bravery from a development house let alone a new one uh these days um on such a scale so it's something that i've always admired DSX for it, you know, I'll be the first one to hold my hands up and say, look, it doesn't get it all right. Some of it is bad. Some of it's awful. Some of it needs editing out because there is way too much conspiracy, even for someone like me who can deal with a few conspiracy things. You know, uh, I was a huge X-Files fan at the time. So um, I like that element of conspiracy. Didn't like the aliens. Um, but just it needed a little bit of reining in in some areas. But in, in terms of the way that the story rolled out, something that i completely admire um if you don't mind me kind of bringing in some of the gameplay uh into this part of our discussion um i i think what we've talked about um is why i find um the hub areas uh to be the stronger mm -hmm. parts of this mm -hmm. game so uh, when you're in Hell's Kitchen and uh, Hong Kong and Paris, I think the ambitions of the game really come together in a way that's effective because you really get a set, you get an immediate sense of the impact of your choices in these areas um, that you don't get from the longer kind of dungeon-esque sequences uh, uh, in the tanker. Uh, that's the one that kind of springs to mind. But uh, th these areas, because you're constantly swapping between different styles of play, whether it be simply kind of an adventure gamey kind of style where you're just talking to people and finding items and kind of uh, figuring out the lay of the land or kind of briefly going into a bit of stealth and a bit of hacking and, and briefly going into a bit yeah. of, a, you know, a bit of combat. I think... In those areas, the fact that you know the first-person shooting is only competent, um, it starts out rubbish. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if you if you um, level up a particular brand of weapon, uh, it does eventually become competent. But because it spends so little time on any one uh, thing in these hub areas, um, it it doesn't allow you enough time to realize that it is only competent and you're just left impressed by the fact that the game is handling all these different things and allowing you to have so much impact and agency where where i think kind of the that both the narrative and and the gameplay drags is in these you know bigger dungeon kind of set pieces um the the tanker mission kind of stands out as the worst example for me um just because the the invite like i don't think this game is very good at signposting in general no, really i don't know if um that's by design or not uh, i know uh, this game wants you to be yeah. observer uh, uh, 
you know observant and i think that works in the bigger kind of open hub areas but when you're just trying to find an objective in this tanker that you need to blow up it can get really frustrating and boring really quickly and um those sections is where i think um the story drags and and it feels gamey and and the gameplay isn't as lively and and dynamic as it is in as i say those city areas um i i do want to talk to you guys about um character builds um yeah. and mm. and the way you kind of approach the game because i think that really does affect uh, your overall experience yeah. um um, what, what what kind of style did you end up going for? Uh, I personally went all out stealth. Um, so it was, uh, I started off with the crossbow and the, uh, with the tranquilizer darts and the ability to take over robots um, to shut them down. And that that's sort of the, and then sneak in, which it doesn't have a great sneak mechanic. Uh, at, at the best of times, it can be a bit awkward. Um, thankfully, we've got quick save and quick load because it's PC. And yeah, I, I always try and take the stealthy way if I possibly can. So everything was focused into that, uh, mm. taking you know the, the the area of least resistance. So uh, sneaking usually around the outside and, and and maintaining and building my point into anything that would basically help me be invisible. It's um it's worth saying as well that um. By the time you're able to upgrade your augments and stuff, you and and able to purchase equipment, um, you can get silent running uh, abilities, and you can also get um, thermoptic camo, um, which if mm. if you get enough of them, can really aid in that um, stealth aspect. I, I'm never, rarely, sorry, I should say, a fan of first person stealth because I think the advantage that third person perspective gives you in a stealth game is it gives you the um, gives you access to the sorts of things that your the sorts of information that your senses would gather if you were in that position. Yeah, but but a game doesn't give you um, just uh, being able to feel vibrations around you or feel movement or uh, the ambient sounds you would hear that you might not pick up on in a game environment, but you would if you were there. So it gives you that extra kind of peripheral sense, uh, sensory information in third person. And in first person, that tends to be harder to do just because of the reduced field of vision. Uh, so in, in third person, it just gives you a, a bit of a a cheat for the extra sensory perception, I should say. Um, like you, Carl, I played um, as stealthy as I could. As I say, um, silent run and... Um, the thermoptic camel I used judiciously as much as I could. Um, and the other things I would give a nod to, the baton and the cattle prod are great non-lethal weapons, uh, and they're both pretty silent as well. So <clears throat> um, I used a lot of those, along with the darts. And uh, darts were a bit frustrating because they didn't obviously took a while to work. And in the meantime, yeah. whatever you hit ran about like a headless chicken. So... Um, Tended not to use if, darts. If they hit. <laughs> if, if they're hit, yeah. They make sure you always, go around yeah. and pick up your yeah. <laughs> your darts that missed. Uh, but yeah, that's how I played. Ryan, how about you? Um, well, I played very inelegantly. And so my ambition going into it was to be stealthy. And I, I tried playing like that for a little bit, but um, found myself pouring more and more of my augmentation and uh, resources into building a more lethal arsenal as I went through 
which ended up paying off because I, I do not have the the finesse to be the stealthy soldier that I wanted to be. And Josh, yeah. So I played in the way that I play almost all stealth games, um, silent but deadly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I I did try to take out people without um, anyone noticing, but I did come to rely on the silence pistol mm-hmm. uh, quite a lot. Uh, I invested a lot of points. In fact, I mastered uh, pistols in that game just to get that you know really accurate shot so I could take out people just from behind or from a distance yeah, with yeah. the pistol. Um, uh, I also, not all the way, but I managed to level up rifles a decent amount um and i ended up picking up a silencer um uh upgrade um and i attached that to a sniper Mm. rifle and that ended up being great i think whenever you get a silenced sniper rifle in a stealth game suddenly you're incredibly overpowered (laughs) and um uh, so some of the some of the uh, challenges of the latter game were reduced because of that um and, and also the sniper rifle is powerful enough to take out security cameras in one shot um so um i was silently getting rid of any alarms that could be triggered before i even enter certain rooms uh which was great i also leveled up um uh, computers i i was about to call it hacking but it's called computers Mm. in this game i think um and that that can be a bit annoying in the early game but like with i think this is probably the same with all of these um these skills but once you get it to master it can be really fun to just toy with the security systems and uh and you know let robots go amok and and turrets kill everyone and and stuff like that so i i was very much kind of playing that stealth where people if they were examining the crime scene people would definitely know i was there <laughs> um but the people at the time uh, were oblivious to my actions it's worth noting as a, as a stealth game um i never tried to play it that no one would know i was there um i'm not entirely sure that's viable in a lot of the areas just because the way the guards are placed um you're not going to be able to sneak past without being noticed at all so you do end up where i ended up um using the baton to knock them out um occasionally moving a body but not much because i'd just go on to the next guard and if there was a chance of him finding the previous body i'd just take him out as well so um i was definitely playing stealthy and and non-lethal but I i wasn't worried about um knocking guards out left right and center you're kind of discouraged from uh being an absolute ghost throughout this as at the Mm. end of the first level even if you do play entirely stealthy you'll you'll find that all of the enemies have been killed by the the force that was backing you up which yeah was a little like why did they even need me in the first place uh yeah why did i have this uh Um, the effect of of walking through a like a hotline Miami level and just seeing all of the enemies that had <laughs> given you so much trouble before and just kind of lying dead and um, and for me it kind of uh, it caused a little dissonance which I think it was supposed to in that like I thought that I was being rather uh, eh, I, rather wise with my uh, with my sneaking choices but uh, it, it kind of rendered that uh, useless. Yeah, I, I do like that, um, as Josh mentioned, um, the dialogues 
you get to reflect the way you're playing and, and Anna and Gunther will frown on you for, for being stealthy and, and not killing people. Um, but characters like Sam Carter um, will respect you for being more honourable. Um, Sam Carter's the quartermaster who's previously been a general in, in the army. Um, and some of the other characters like uh, the, uh, is it Alex, the the kind of tech guy, and the doctor whose name I'm forgetting will respond to you more kindly if you are um if if you're being kind of non-lethal in, in that in that way. Um and the other thing which is probably part of the game's critique is someone will tell you how they really want to help you and they really appreciate what you're doing to try and help them or or um people around them. I'm thinking of like when you're helping some of the French hostages escape. Um and then someone will thank you for all your hard work and say, here, here, I've got this spare thermoptic camel vest or whatever. That'll be 5,000 credits, please. And it's like, does everyone, even if they're trying to help you, have to get money for whatever it is they're about to help you with? <laughs> Always it's like, here, let me help you. That's 1,000 credits. Here, let me help you. That'll be 1,250. And it's like, it, I'm not sure if that's an intentional criticism of unbridled capitalism where everyone knows just no i need paid for this i'm getting out of bed give me money um or whether it was to balance the economy of the game again it's one of these things i can't yeah. tell if it's if it's really uh kind of deep possibly too deep but deep game design where they're putting a lot of nuance into the dialogue options and into the sandboxes and the different routes and the different ways you can play the game or whether there's something else going on. I, I think it's I think the constant reliance on money is a bit of a problem. Mm. But I think um the game wants you to sacrifice yeah. something when you make a choice, whether that be a path or a direction through a level, or that be, you know, resources or or an upgrade yeah, or something yeah. like that. Uh, I mean, an example of this is, um, uh, so there are kind of, I wouldn't, I, I'd hesitate to call them boss fights, but kind of major character encounters that yeah. you can have. And, um, uh, you can't, uh, well with two specifically, you can skip them essentially if you explore enough, talk to enough people, and and find um, these kill phrases, yeah, and this is a good example. Um, you can explore and find the yeah. kill phrases before she finds you. Yeah, but with uh, Gunther, in order to at least um, when I managed to get it, I had to sacrifice uh, an augment in order to get his kill phrase because yeah. it was either an either or situation there, and and in my case the ability to skip uh, a combat encounter was more valuable yeah. to me than mm. a an augmentation <laughs> and I, I did enjoy being rewarded um you know with that you know hello uh now you're dead yeah. uh mm. kind of uh, encounter with gunther because it, it it felt more satisfying um to be rewarded in that way than to have that combat encounter but i did have to sacrifice an augmentation and i think that's kind of built into the whole yeah. philosophy of the game is that when you're making a choice, you're also making a sacrifice. But I don't think me making that argument um, undermines your argument, James, that it does rely a little bit too much on 
pay me 200 pounds <laughs> yeah, yeah, pay yeah, me yeah. Uh, uh pay me 300 I mean, credits sorry i've I've, I've defaulted yeah, no, it, to british it's, currency it's the generic there. credits but, yeah. um but yeah i mean that's that's to be fair that's throughout the gameplay so you can get an augment which will supplement whatever you've picked to start upgrading in terms of augments be it your legs to move faster or whatever um but for the silent running one, you've also got your bioenergy meter on the side of your uh, your health. Um, so you don't buy the perk, and that's now a passive upgrade to your entire mm-hmm. character's way of being. In some cases it is, but not always. You've also got a resource there to manage. So there's a lot of resource management. There's a lot of inventory management. You've not only got an inventory, you've also got um, your equip bar that you need to keep managed as well. So you've always got access to the correct stuff. Um, there is a lot of that, which is, I mean, uh, I was watching a zero punctuation uh, at the escapist.com of this where Yatsi Croshaw talks about that sort of sliding scale between a first person shooter and an RPG where, where is an RPG with first person shooter elements and where is it a first person shooter with RPG elements? And this game, I think he's right, really goes for, tries to go for a kind of middle of the line balance where system shock two was aiming for arguably more RPG and you could get a character build that would just ruin your chances of finishing the game. Um, and where Bioshock was going more for first person shooter with some RPG stuff on top. And the reason, uh, and, and what, what I saw in this and it's true in human revolution, I think as well as the upgrades you pick are going to determine how you play the rest of the game in terms of what routes you can pick and whether or not you can skip a boss fight or whether or not you can you can take on a combat scenario um whereas in something like a bioshock the the upgrades you pick they're not going to mean you just don't fight anyone anymore it's just going to change the way you encounter you deal with that particular encounter so in this game you are you can, as you say, Josh, just avoid a lot of combat altogether if that's not the way you're playing the game by upgrading um, computers, electronics, um, you know that kind of stuff where you're hacking your way through and you're um, you're shutting down robots rather than having to deal with them, etc. So uh, I, I I do like the fact that it may not always work, but they've tried to balance all of that and have the player always thinking about what do I get for this and what do I miss out on for this without ever feeling it feeling like I felt about Dishonored, which was I was missing out on parts of the game by making those choices. If if that makes any sense at all, but it's just, it, it, they yeah, balanced yeah. it quite well in terms of always making me feel like what I was getting was worth what I was sacrificing. I guess that's what I'm saying. We We have mentioned quite a large number of the influences Uh, of this game and its legacy but one thing i did want to point out in particular um actually two things first i wanted to point out that when this came out the kind of collage of conspiracy theories um that something like the da vinci code was very popular and then people got very sick of it very quickly thereafter ditto assassin's creed bringing the whole templars and assassins and kind of that sort of thing um at the point this came out those didn't exist so it may well be that we are more tired of them now 
because we've been through that era of Dan Brown novels and that kind of thing, whereas back in 2000 it wasn't as popular or prevalent. Just thought I'd mention. Um, the other thing is I really like the fact that last year um, IDOS released, albeit as a precursor to Deus Ex Mankind Divided, the game that's coming out in August of this year, 2016, um, they released a 15th anniversary animated trailer, which rather than just saying, no, no, Human Revolution was a reboot. This is now what Deus Ex is. It actually covers the 15 year, all, all three previous uh, games in terms of all the background, all the story. Um, so it starts off with Deus Ex, includes some of the story stuff from uh, Invisible War, and then goes on to Human Revolution. And that also went on into Human Revolution's design where they were not trying to distance themselves from this game. And I do like the way they have included that all together and they've taken stuff out of Deus Ex into Human Revolution and they've foreshadowed stuff to, to make it feel like they they now know what they wanted to do with this story in a way that Human Revolution wouldn't feel right if there were aliens in it, etc., so they've ignored some aspects, but in terms of the the overall themes of what it is to be human and how much are we really being controlled by corporations and the government, etc., they really did a good job, and it's nice to see IDOS reflect on on that. Um, so if you get a chance, the just YouTube search fifteenth anniversary um, animated trailer Deus Ex. Uh, it, it's a good little watch, and nice to see IDOS kind of tip of the hat to the legacy of, of this game. We have had quite a sizable amount of community feedback. Um, in one case, via Twitter, which we'll, we'll read out the question sent to us and answer it quite um, quickly, I imagine. Uh, in one case, by email. But quite a lot of it, we're going to whip through that and, um, and see what you guys thought. I think it's fair to say there's a lot more positivity from this feedback than perhaps we have, have shown. So if you're frustrated that we didn't get as much out of the game as maybe you did, hold that thought because there are a lot of other people who share your views. I think it's fair to say. Um, I am going to start and uh, this came through on Twitter. Question asks, will you guys be talking about the multiplayer at all, max speed augmentation and throwing knives, baby? That was from Damien Hannigan at I am Curtain um, on Twitter. I'm assuming our answer is just a very quick and unanimous no, because none of us have played it. I didn't even realize there was a multiplayer until today when I was been, looking. Uh, kind of a LAN only type thing, right? Okay, that makes sense. I played it at LAN, right? Okay, um, but I didn't really like it. Okay. <laughs> it was a short session because the shooting mechanics aren't really its centerpiece and so i don't know really how you would construct unless you were to do something like a like a, a spies and mercs or whatever um more creative type of, of gameplay mode like we've seen mm. since then well it, it sounds I like mean, damien found that being able to move ridiculously quickly and then just use throwing knives so run up to someone throw a knife at them and run away i guess it sounds fun um, in a kind of golden eye kind of way yeah yeah i guess or a, a halo um laser sword I suspected that would be the answer. Apologies, Damien, but um, just not the right crowd to be talking about that. It would be unfair of us to talk about it at any greater length, given um, we just haven't played a great deal. Okay, Josh, would you handle the email we received, please? So James Cresswell says, 
I first played it when I was around 10 or 11, drawn in by the relentlessly cool Blade Runner meets and X-Files in a dingy film noir dive bar aesthetic. And I've replayed it countless times and been pleased to see how much of an influence it's had. Its fingerprints can be seen in a wide range of some of the best and most interesting games in recent years. The open mission structure and moral ambiguity of Dishonored, the richly detailed exploration-based storytelling of Gone Home, and the hybrid first-person shooter RPG mechanics of the most recent Fallout titles are a few examples. Like with Final Fantasy VII, I'd be lying if I said my fondness for this game wasn't, to some extent, down to rose-tinted nostalgia. This is not to deny the game's many strengths, however. The well-crafted illusion of freedom and of a living, breathing world, maintained by a careful, calculated balance of openness and boundaries still holds up against today's more technically sophisticated open-world games, and the wealth of extra details that the player can organically find while exploring the game's settings never ceases to impress me. Solidifying my experience of this game conclusively is the small contribution that it made to my undergraduate dissertation a few years ago, as well as leading me to one of the novels I studied in depth for the dissertation, Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Clinchon, which was a definitive influence on Deus Ex's paranoid atmosphere of deep conspiracy and corrupt authoritarianism. It was also the game I chose to play during my late night breaks from the mountainous writing and researching. And what a joy it was to be able to take that downtime, immersing myself in those beautifully realized settings, like the lonesome, quiet Hong Kong canals and the melancholy Duclair Chateau that captured my imagination all those years ago and have stayed lodged in my memory ever since. If this ungodly mass of verbiage still isn't enough to convince anyone who's on the fence about this game, I'll end with this. It's well cheap. There's a litany of hilarious comedy accents for you and all of your loved ones to enjoy. Uh, I like that. Um, Carl, would you read out Triumph of Hearts response, please? Yeah, he says, an absolute belter. Picked up the PC version after reading some articles in a games magazine at the time. It talked talked the game up pretty big, and coming from the late N64 and early PS2 titles I was playing at the time, it sounded like something out of science fiction in both narrative concept and execution. My PC would barely run the thing, and my first few days were spent chugging through the training sections with various graphic settings altered until I hit a passable frame rate. No doubt something like 20 frames a second in the quiet and 15 or so or lower during action sequences. I absolutely loved it even though my rig was technically hamstrung. I remember shouting for my brother from the other room when I realised you could pick up any old tat lying around. Get in here! I'm drunk and I'm smoking cigarettes! I never made much progress owing to the fact that my machine struggled more and more as the game levels opened up. I do have fond memories of the rooftop balcony style traversal somewhere in the second stage, though as the lack of enemies meant that I could run the game at a reasonable clip. A couple of years later I picked the game up on PS2 and even with its cut content and trimmed level layouts I still had a great time. Even here with the textures almost comically blurry, I enjoyed what felt like real freedom to approach tasks in my own way. 
I've always been rubbish at stealth and action games, yet I loved the choice of which approach I could fail at. Every blunder felt like my blunder, and this was something I can't remember feeling in much else of the era except for Outcast. Deus Ex sits on my list of games I really need to go back and finish properly. I'm pretty sure I have the Game of the Year edition sitting in my Steam library, but I just don't have the time to play it. I never played Invisible War or Human Revolution despite now owning both, but one day I hope to blast through the set, a special, special title. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, so, Bakers12 uh, posted on our forums, I remember buying Deus Ex on a whim. I bounced off it hard. I could get nowhere in the first level. I couldn't even manage to hit anyone with my trank cross crossbow. I gave up. I did return around four times and never got past the first bit. Then on my fifth go, it clicked big time. Once I got my head round how the game works, I found the first level was a mission statement for the game. It showed you the diversity diversity and options as you worked your way into and then up the Statue of Liberty. Even at the time, it was not a pretty game, but its rough edges seemed to suit it. The gameplay and scope were a revelation to me at the time and opened my eyes to the notion that games don't have to stick to one genre, but take bits from others to improve the experience. For me, it was the story that stuck out. Real-world conspiracy theories merged into a main story that captured my imagination with its twists and turns. Looking back, it was taking a lot of cues from X-Files, but it worked. More amazing was that the story was so very malleable in what you could do to affect it. The quality of the level design was and still is amazing and stays high all the way to the last area. That last area is one of my fave last areas from any game. As soon as you arrive, your previous decisions can mean you could lose a companion or change the opening layout of the level. The final showdown where you have several people all trying to convince you to help them was such a clever way to finish the game. I came back to this game repeatedly until my last gaming PC gave in. Even after so many playthroughs, I still found new areas and people to talk to. This game, along with Alpha Centauri, are the only games that, uh, to, to, to take with me when I moved out of home. Despite how good this game is and how highly it's thought of now, at the time I knew no one else who had played it. Years later, I found out a work colleague, who is sadly no longer with us, loved Deus Ex 2. That day and many days after were spent having in-depth conversations on how we'd played the game. In one conversation, he dropped a massive bombshell. He always saved JC's brother, Paul. He would barricade the apartment and defend his brother. I, on the other hand, had always jumped out the window and legged it, messing up the continuity of the sequel as Paul was the protagonist in that story. Now I still see it as my fave game ever. The sequels have not quite lived up to the first one. Deus Ex introduced me to many, many elements I love in games. In particular, the feeling that you can choose to do what you want and that there is going to be some cause and effect. Uh, Josh? Uh, Todinho says, Deus Ex is one of the few games that I remember being really hyped about in the late 90s. In hindsight, I don't really know why I was so excited to play it. At the time, I didn't even know it was a first-person RPG, but maybe I just thought that the Matrix-looking guy on the cover was really cool. Once the game came out, my father bought it hoping that our computer would be able to run it, and thankfully it did. I remember booting up the game, starting the first level, getting stuck, and then never touching it again. Not surprising for someone of my age at the time to do. I suppose I was eight or nine. My father kept playing it, but I would only come back to it ten years later, around the time Human Revolution was announced, and I knew I had to finish it. 
By the time I played it properly, I was really aware of the areas of the game that hadn't aged very well. The graphics, though cutting edge at the time, didn't exactly age very well. That's not such a big problem given the game's grimy cyberpunk aesthetics, but it's still an eyesore. Another thing that really didn't age well were the actual mechanics of the game. Combat is clunky at best, and it's one of the main reasons I avoided it at every opportunity. The overall plot is very run-of-the-mill, being your average conspiracy theory cyberpunk story with some really flat characters. Despite all these dated aspects, the game made me fall in love with it once its timeless quality started to shine. Firstly, the level design. Not only are the areas designed to accommodate any type of playthrough, but they are huge even by today's standards. I'm convinced it's impossible to find all the game's secrets in a first playthrough. Not only are the levels open, but the game boasts the ability to play the game any way you want. The amount of options you have to deal with each level is staggering. You just need to look at the first mission and its multiple endings, about five, or the ability to save your brother and avoid boss fights. The freedom the game gives the player in how to approach it is the true revolutionary quality of the game. The only title I can think of that can really match Deus Ex is the recently released MGS5, and that's not even a fair comparison. If that's not a testament to how far ahead of its time Deus Ex was, I don't know what is. I would be remiss if I didn't mention the game's outstanding soundtrack that perfectly fits the setting giving it a lot more character than it would have without it. Themes like Yanatko and the and Hong Kong streets stick in your head for a long time. It's one of the few soundtracks from a AAA Western game that I frequently listen to. I was really happy to go back and play Deus Ex because despite not aging well in certain areas, it remained timeless in others, and that completely blew me away. It's a game I think aspiring game creators can learn a lot from and is a must-play to anyone interested in gaming history. Finally, Electrococosaurus says, Deus Ex came along when I was too young to have disposable income with which to buy a full game. I did have access to the demo, though, which came free with a copy of PC Zone magazine. As such, Deus Ex is one of those games where my fondness comes from how much I rinse their generous demo rather than the full game itself. See also Parappa the Rapper and Resident Evil 2. Deus Ex's first demo gave players access to the first mission, while a second demo, released a few months later, opened up Hell's Kitchen section that followed. Due to its open world, this meant there was a heck of a lot to, of content to explore. While the full game would feature some tweaks, for the most part, it was stuffed to the cybernetically enhanced gills with content, and you could use a crowbar as a weapon, firmly establishing it as a millennial PC game. <laughs> GTA 3 was over a year away, so I wasn't used to having such a large, expansive place to explore. I had great fun acting like a complete Burke, stunning friendlies, tasing enemy AIs, and alternating between being stealthy and blowing up everything in sight. The first hub world was such a wonderful sandbox of possibilities that I don't think there's a level of a game that I've played more thoroughly. It helped that the game came out relatively soon after the release of The Matrix. Balletic gunfights, nighttime sunglasses, and ridiculously long coats were the epitome of counterculture cool in the 2000s. Although J.C. Denton was a typically one-note video game representation of this, the theme tune was Ace 2, though... 
I suspect the composer had listened to the 90s X-Men cartoon theme a few times beforehand. One final shout-out has to go to Gunther Herman, possessor of both the most cliched German name in video games and one of the worst COD German accents. He is one stein away from asking Denton to run away to the land of chocolate with him. And the more hilarious for it. Thank you very much. Some excellent uh, feedback there. And uh, as I said, um, I think fair to say generally a lot more positive than than we have been probably helped by the fact that I think um, all of those people had, had kind of played the game somewhat when it came out. Um, three word reviews we also had on the day of recording uh, at Kanan Rince is our Twitter account and we will put out a, a call for you to respond with your full and frank reviews of the game in as many as and no less than three words. Um, the first one we received was from Gary Butterfield and he says, Agency, Respect, Paragon. Nicholas Cook says, Coolest Cyberpunk Conspiracies. Glenn Watts or Mr. Flabio said, Kill Phrase Activated. Martin Baker, Choices and Consequences. Matt Barnhart, Sunglasses at Night. Underdog WS says Dragon's Tooth. Yes. Badass. Nick Wirt said Trailer was cool. Peter, in the fresh. Pretty sure that's an accent joke there. What, uh, what, would, it, <laughs> what would it be? Uh, in the flesh. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't feel like I want to retake that in a more racist way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think leave it as it is. <laughs> and finally, Joel Edwards says, Green Greasy Greasels. Mm, the Greasels. Okay, you have heard our long-form opinions of uh, of the game, but now we're going to try and summarise what what we thought about the game obviously bearing in mind when we played it and what versions we uh, we played uh, i'm going to go first i think probably i'm the most positive it's not that i disagree with any of the uh, the criticisms that i i made obviously or, or any of you guys brought up in terms of the the aesthetics and um in terms of some of the game's shortcomings either with age or or just because it wasn't what the game did particularly well at the time. It's just that I'm more forgiving of those, as I, as I tend to be. I have a habit of being forgiving when a game has a, shows a lot of ambition in terms of its scope or something it's trying to do. I tend to forgive a lot of the shortcomings uh, just because I appreciate the ambition. Um, and that's what I love about this game, is that... Um, the scope of it, the variety of ways to tackle the environments, the variety of ways to approach the dialogues. I, I loved all of that about this game. And I agree with some of the commenters who were saying that there aren't really many games that have, have done this to this degree or more since. There are very, very few that tried to tackle this. Even Deus Ex Human Revolution tried to do a lot, a lot more than I expected it would of what the original of the series did. Um, but it had to strip down and streamline quite a lot. And whereas we were saying in the story, it might have been nice to see that. It's um, 
it's quite a testament to to the scope of the game that um, that very few have tried to tackle it. Um, I do like overall the cyberpunk world, and I do like most of the themes and, and themes that the story tries to tackle. Um, functionally, this ending of this game, the the kind of multiple endings isn't actually all that different from the one that was on the end of Deus Ex Human Revolution that was incredibly criticised. That ending tried to ape this one quite significantly, but something about the way that the themes and that kind of multi-faction political intrigue story had been presented in Deus Ex really made the ending seem impactful. So when I chose to unite JC with Helios and become this benevolent dictator of the world, that was a stunning ending for a game for me. It it brought together all the good stuff about themes of this game uh, in that one moment where I saw JC step out of that uh, and he had that kind of reverberating um, deification to him and he was darkened and... um, and the quote that popped up at the end, uh, just to kind of cement um, cement that, uh, when it said, if there were no God, it would be necessary to invent him, uh, a Voltaire quote that I had just chosen to act upon. I thought that was very fitting. Um, so that's my lasting memory of this game. For, for its failings that we've kind of talked about, I loved the the themes and the scope of this game I thought were very well done and and that's what I think about when I think of Deus Ex. Uh, so that's my thoughts on the game. Josh, I imagine you might be a bit more critical than I. Here's the thing. I I think... I, I kind of think of Deus Ex as a, a jack of all trades but a master of none. I, I think it is extremely impressive how it attempts all of the things it does... And the fact that pretty much all of it is done to the point where it's competent is kind of incredible on its own. Just as just the fact that they did all these things and and managed to make them all work at the very least is in its own way very impressive. But I I can't help but feel that the thing that I'm impressed by is the fact that somebody will tell me, oh, did you know that you could do this? And I'm like, wow, that's cool. And they, you know, I find out, oh, I could have done this. That's cool. But the actual doing of any of this stuff is nowhere near as satisfying to me as a game that really focuses in on a particular style of play and tries to be the perfect expression of that uh, style. Um, I think the fact that you can play this entire game being as stealthy as, as possible is really impressive. But at the end of the day, I would rather go and play something like Mark of the Ninja or even Deus Ex Human Revolution, which is less impressive uh, than this game in terms of scope and scale, but really nails the stealth yeah. aspect of the game that um, that I like the most. Um, I think it's impressive that you can go through this game like an action game and be a master hacker and what have you, but it's it's... At the end of the day, I would rather play something like Half-Life 2, which is kind of, for me, is a perfect expression of 
that first person shooting combat so while I'm just kind of from an academic perspective almost I really appreciate what this game has brought to the medium and how it's influenced a lot of games I really love um, and gone on to be a huge impact and gone on to have a huge impact on games I really love I don't think it excels really at anything it attempts except maybe the organic way the story changes and reacts to your choices that is the one aspect of the game that i think is still impressive even now um but just in terms of play in terms of mechanics um i i would rather play a game that uh, focuses in on that stuff and really tries to be the perfect expression of that style rather than being what this game is to me, which is a jack-of-all-trades. Thank you. Uh, next up, Ryan. I didn't really enjoy playing this game just because I I was so bad. I was I was comically bad at, at Deus Ex. Like, I would walk into a room for the first time to just scope it out, and then all of a sudden there would just there would be explosions, and people would be yelling at me saying, "All the hostages are dead. What did you do?" I didn't. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what I would go back and fix if I had the opportunity. But, um, but I, I, I kind of became obsessed with the possibilities um, and watching people who are better at this game play in in just ludicrous ways on YouTube. And seeing them stick wall mines on the walls and, and use those as stepping stones to climb up to places that they, I don't know if they're supposed to get to or, or not. Um, but just everything about the, um, just like the, the, like the darkened half of the game, the, the bit that I never got to see is super cool. And I, I feel like it's one of those games like a, like a desert island type game that if this was the only game that you had to play for the rest of your life, like you could become like a deus ex savant, like you could be an amazing player and do some incredible things. Um, and so for that, I, I do really respect it. I, I think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of the, the presentation and a lot of the, um, uh, hub world exploration, especially kind of reminded me of, um, of perfect dark, where you get to mm. also run around in your little secret agent base and also kind of culminates in uh, fighting greys in Area 51. Um, so there, there are a lot of kind of um, similarities between the two games, but yeah. I, I just love being in, in that base um, in, in kind of walking through those corridors and seeing all the other agents and just walking into people's offices. And, and I, I am the type of player who also gets a little obsessive over checking every last corner and and trying to find all of the pickups and the secrets in the environment and looking under you know every every desk and behind every every fake plant in in every office and um kind of led into one of my most memorable moments from the game and this reflects back on how much of the how much of your invisible choices are being remembered by the game and reflected in really clever ways and that is after I had made a pretty thorough sweep of the base, I went to receive my next mission assignment from my commander. And, uh, you know, he kind of told me, he, he, um, 
kind of scolded me for how poorly I did in the previous mission, which, you know, fair enough. And, um, told me about what I was off to do next in hell's kitchen. Mm. And on my way out of the office, as I turned and was beginning to walk out, he calls me back over and says, Oh, by the way, we've had some complaints. Please stay out of the women's restroom. <laughs> and just, oh no, the game knows. <laughs> uh, oh, anyways, it's, it is worth playing if you're a lot smarter than I am, I think. Um, there, there's still a lot of magic there and there's still a lot to discover. Um, I think like watching people speed run it on YouTube and, and just find all these hidden corridors and stuff that I would just never know about in my life. If you're the type of person who appreciates memorizing guard patterns and knowing your way inside and out of the game, then uh, this, this has a lot of depth to be mined. And it does hmm. some things that I, I haven't really seen a lot since then. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say give it a go. It's interesting. It's uh, very deep in what it offers. Thank you very much. And Carl, this was um, your suggestion of a game to play. Yeah. So I figured it was only right, given also that you were the first of us to play it, to end on your summary. The reason I wanted to discuss this game is because it always felt like a game that offered more than your average title. And I think the discussion over the last two hours has pretty much shown that to be the case, mm. that there is a lot of content in there. And I think, in retrospect, the thing I enjoy most about my experience of playing Deus Ex is hearing others talk enthusiastically about what they did, how they approached other situations, and why they like uh, the way that they played the game. Um, and... I think when it comes to the majority of games, you're sort of limited into how you can approach it, or you've got that sort of four sense of, of scale where you're led to believe that your choices matter, and in the end it's all for naught because it, it's a very set string of endings that, that really have no difference, or that that even the style of impact of play mean nothing, not even necessarily the decisions you make, but how you approach those situations and as ryan's mentioned there that that's not the case um there are there are you know little touches here and there to reference the manner in which a situation has been uh, approached um i think my memories from playing it in 2015 were mostly positive i appreciate the scale of what was intended i'm always someone that likes the effort that goes into something um, even if it doesn't necessarily work out or even if I don't necessarily like how the game plays, I mm. can admire at least what was attempted uh, and, and appreciate it. And I think although we've criticised certain areas or how certain things were handled, uh, and as Josh said, it perhaps is a jack-of-all-trades, I don't think it necessarily does anything badly. And I think in some things it actually does it very well, particularly for its time, you know, since we've seen certain things do better. I mean, we're talking games with large scales like The Witcher 3, which has great conversations and that that you will not see of, of that ilk. But, of course, that game came 15 years later and in some ways will have been influenced by Deus Ex, as many games, not even just science fiction games, will have been. This is absolutely a benchmark um, that we can draw back influences from any number of titles that they'll reference this as, as a level of importance. And you can only credit uh, Warren Spector and Harvey Smith uh, for, the, for the work that they accomplished on this title. Um, you know, as, as someone who likes to uh, approach games in a stealthy manner, 
it, it's good that the game actually gives you those options all the way through. Um, and I would argue that perhaps only recently we've seen first-person stealth done properly. You know, Dishonored did it in a very interesting manner, but I enjoyed it. And something like Wolfenstein, the New Order, also happened to do stealth in a way that I appreciated in a first-person because I, uh, like James, am someone that tends to prefer it in a third-person perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a huge fan of Hitman and, and Splinter Cell titles and, and of course, Metal Gear Solid. Um, but having the option if i wanted to go out guns blazing although that is not the strong element of the game um i'm thinking more along the lines of mass effect one and it's shooting rather than mass effect two and three um again an option um that, that i absolutely appreciate and of course uh the, the the conversations the hub worlds the way things actually change as you play the game um is something that it's probably the first thing that I fell in love with. And it's strange going back to it because this is two games now that I've requested uh, in Deus Ex and System Shock 2. And De System Shock 2 is a game that I found very unfriendly, very confusing and stopped playing at launch. And Deus Ex is a game that I found confusing but was able to stick with and play over time and continually go back to over these 15 years every couple of years and now i look back and i i appreciate deus ex for the all-time classic it is um you know it's been voted in numerous publications as the greatest game ever made greatest pc game ever made don't agree with that but i would class it as right up there for influence and impact but i look at something like system shock 2 and going back to it and i think that in terms of retro i think that does a better job of bringing the rpg and first person together into a more complete product um it's not that i would you know fight one off against the other they're both cheap and i absolutely recommend playing them both and i think as someone who likes to complete out their history of games that should be played um and games that we want to play uh to sort of reference the impact they've made and you know you, you sort of flow this mental chart in your head of you know the way zelda has impacted games the way mario has and i think you know uh, having played Deus Ex, my knowledge and experience of how other games have been impacted since is greater for, for having played this. And I think for anyone who truly loves games and the fundamentals and the core elements that they uh, utilize, I think it's very important that Deus Ex is a game that you at least try and experience. Um, because if you take sort of the uh, sort of comic, comedic accents that are used in the game or perhaps some areas are a bit basic or the guns aren't necessarily good there's a lot there a lot of content and a lot that is done well and i think that is completely admirable and for that i'll always admire deus ex if not love the game itself thank you very very much those have been our views on deus ex it's time for me to say thank you very much to Carl Moon, Ryan Heyman and Joshua Garrity. And of course, thank you very much to you, the listeners and our community contributors on both Twitter and the forums. Next time in issue 210, it's block puzzles and fear of commitment in Atlas's visual novel Come Climbing Wall, Catherine. <laughs>